the largest clean source of hydrogen production. Coming soon to upstate New York. I'm Robert Colangelo, and this is GreenSense, where we bring you the latest in eco-innovations. Plug Power CEO Andy Marr says the company's future revolves around building a clean hydrogen economy, and it's putting its money where its mouth is by investing $290 million in a new facility. Andy Marsh, CEO Plug Power, joins us now. Welcome, Andy. Thank you for having me, Robert. I'm looking forward to our, to our talk. Andy, explain how hydrogen is produced and then how you make the process lean, clean, and green. Sure. So many of your people out there probably think hydrogen is produced from natural gas. And most hydrogen is produced from natural gas. Plug power and really the future of folks looking at climate change will be making hydrogen and it is made today in many cases from renewable electricity. So in upstate New York, we're using hydropower, uh, taking hydropower power using a device called an electrolyzer, which plug power actually manufactures too, and turns that into clean green hydrogen that uh, has a zero carbon footprint and can be used in many applications where uh, uh, to generate electricity or where fuel was burned today. So maybe I missed it, but how is hydrogen produced typically and how do you make it cleaner? Yeah, so uh, typically hydrogen is produced from natural gas. You know, a very simple equation from natural gas is CH4 and it goes through a device called a reformer, which generates hydrogen. Uh, some people are looking at using carbon capture so that the hydrogen is greener. It's not how Plug is looking at it. And there's many other people are looking at it the same way. They're looking at taking green renewable energy sources like solar, wind, or hydropower, using a device called an electrolyzer, which actually splits water and takes, splits water by taking, making hydrogen and oxygen. So and in that, the past, that sp splitting that bond was yeah. uh, energy intensive, but by you using a natural uh, renewable energy to split that bond, you've made it cleaner and your, your byproducts oxygen. Your byproducts oxygen. And actually that oxygen is often used in other applications too, but uh, the primary use is the generation of hydrogen and it's hydrogen with a zero carbon footprint. Well, that's fantastic. What took so long for us to do it that way? I think the key item is, I think your listeners know, is the continual reduction of the cost of renewable electricity. And, you know, just like uh, solar is more competitive than coal today for many power electronics applications, power generation applications, uh, today, if you have renewable electricity under four cents a kilowatt hour, you can be very competitive with with natural gas generated hydrogen. And it's really, as the world, as the cost of renewables have gone down, the cost of green hydrogen has become competitive. And that's good for the planet. So uh, It's you're, good for the planet. <laughs> your goal is 45 million metric tons of liquid hydrogen each day. You know, that sounds like an enormous amount. Can you help put that in context? Maybe compare that to something we know to give us an idea of how much that is. Well, I think the easiest item is uh, it's equivalent to about 90,000 gallons of gasoline. 
whoa, that's, <laughs> that's yeah. in context. And yeah. that's, that's every day. So that's, every day. that's pretty amazing. Is there currently enough demand for hydrogen? Well, today, Robert, first, uh, in the United States alone, there's actually 25,000 metric tons of hydrogen used every day. And it's used in many, many industrial applications. I actually use hydrogen to uh, power mobile devices. I use 40 tons a day in plug power products at the moment. And by year's end, that number will be something like 70 tons a day. So I could actually use all the production for my own use, but there's many, many applications which use hydrogen. Tell us about some of those. So some of them, which you may not think a lot about, is the making of fertilizers. So uh, when they make fertilizer, they have a process of reformers that take natural gas to create hydrogen. In the future, you can do that with renewable electricity and electrolyzers to create hydrogen. And I, being, you know, not everybody thinks about those kind of applications. And uh, that's a big user of hydrogen today. Uh, plants that make integrated circuits actually in their process use a great deal of hydrogen. And that hydrogen can be converted into, uh, can be done with renewable electricity. Uh, another application you may not uh, think a great deal about is uh, areas like cement manufacturing will use hydrogen. Things which aren't as sexy as uh, airplanes and others, but they use a lot of hydrogen. And, uh, and if you're going to decarbonize the world, they're the kind of applications you really also need to decarbonize. Uh, people look at the carbon footprint and mobility, and it's about 26% of CO2 emissions. Things like making steel and cement actually are bigger, and hydrogen can help solve that problem too. Well, let's talk about two uh, forms of transportation that we've had on the show before. One is cars, and the other are airplanes. So t tell us a little bit on your vision on being able to use hydrogen to fuel planes and to fuel cars. So I'm actually working on both. Flood uh, power, uh, you know, this is a, probably mostly American broadcast. People don't think of a company called Renault in France. And today, hydrogen vehicles are really, and Renault in France, plug power has a joint venture with uh, to develop hydrogen vehicles for the road. And these will be mostly like commercial vehicles, things like the Amazon Prime truck that's driving into your neighborhood. And uh, hydrogen is more interesting in that application because if you, because, you know, these are assets that are used all the time. You don't have time to charge batteries. Uh, you can fill a hydrogen van like a gasoline van in minutes. You can run twice as long as a battery. So where you're seeing lots of people looking at hydrogen is, uh, you know, I, I work very closely. My biggest customer is Amazon. And, you know, when they think about their 2035 net zero plan, they recognize hydrogen has to be part of their logistic network for anything that has range. My view on passenger vehicles that, uh, you know, in most passenger vehicle applications till 2030, I think battery electric vehicles solve most problems. And that uh, I think hydrogen will be interested to, uh, for people who need to drive range, as well as, uh, you know, I, for example, 
I have no way to charge a car when I run live in a condo. Uh, you know, it, you know, being able to uh, drive to a local station and fill up my hydrogen car in three minutes would be very attractive. Uh, in aviation, I think again, you know, I'm not a purist. Uh, Plug actually invested in a company, which is a startup that's uh, doing regional aircrafts, looking to use hydrogen fuel cells. So, uh, you know, aviation represents about 2.5% of the CO2 emissions in the world. And, uh, you know, I think if you have to go to long distances, biofuels make a lot of sense. If you need to travel in regionally, you know, call it 600 miles, uh, the company we're working with, Universal Hydrogen, actually is looking to do conversion kits that by 2025, they can have propeller planes running on hydrogen. Well, as I said, we did an interview a couple of months ago with a group out of the Pacific Northwest that's using hydrogen. And they did their first flight. I think they went over 30 minutes. And it sounded like hydrogen could really work for short runs, an hour or less. And... Uh, this gentleman actually had a uh, great idea uh, because of some of the challenges of uh, transporting hydrogen was to build hydrogen facilities right at the airport so you can fuel right there and ha not have to deal with that. So uh, before we get into the challenges, why don't you tell us about some of the economic and environmental benefits of using hydrogen over fossil fuels? Sure. And I'll just add to the uh, aviation you know, Airbus is looking to put long-range hydrogen power uh, planes on the market in 2035. And they're it's going to be a changing that. world. <laughs> it's a changing world. So there are lots of people doing interesting items. But, you know, as we talked a little bit before, the key item for low-cost hydrogen is the ability to have low-cost renewable electricity. And... Uh, as the cost of renewables uh, continue to go down, and I think many people think the cost of solar uh, at a wholesale price will be one and a half cents to one cent, and there's places that by 2030, hydrogen will be incredibly competitive and lower cost than natural gas generated hydrogen. Uh, today, the break even points in that three cents to four cent range, and you know, Plug's been able to purchase electricity, renewable electricity at that rate at a wholesale level. So you have to think today about wholesale versus retail and how we think about positioning plants and other activities, but hydrogen can be very, very competitive. From a carbon footprint, uh, it's zero if you do it with, you know, at the source, if you do it with renewable electricity. Then you Hard have to beat to get that. It, yeah, then you have to get it somewhere, right? Yeah. So, uh, you know, if you put it in a truck, you know, Plug's vision is that uh, we're actually going to be delivering our hydrogen in hydrogen trucks so that uh, those trucks will be running on hydrogen generating a plant. So from a, from a wells to wheels analysis, uh, um, the hydrogen we deliver it to a customer's site will have a zero CI score. And for your audience, CI, I mean the carbon index score. Well, Every idea needs some grease, and that uh, grease is capital uh, to get it rolling. So just looking at your, I think, virtual screen or your background there with all those batteries and hearing all these wonderful ideas, sounds like this is a very capital-intensive business. How are you funding all these uh, great ideas? Well, um, we're well-funded. 
we have over five billion dollars in capital on our balance sheet, and uh, that funding actually will allow us uh, to build out uh, the complete hydrogen generation network across the U.S. So you know that's uh, and we plan to have 500 tons by 2025. Uh, we've been lucky. Uh, you know, we've had good institutional investors, and we recently received a $1.6 billion uh, equity investment from the second largest conglomerate in South Korea called SK, which is a big energy producer. And they're hoping to work with Plug Power uh, to reduce their carbon footprint as they strive to meet their sustainability goals and understood hydrogen had to be part of this, the mix. Are you public or private? We are a public company. Fantastic. I think a lot of our listeners would like to uh, follow and track you because it definitely sounds yeah. like the future. Yeah. So uh, we've talked about all... Ticket PLUG, listeners. PLUG. That's a plug. Right. Yes. <laughs> well, we talked about all the benefits and, you know, like everything, there, there's, there's cons. Uh, hydrogen has challenges as a fuel, including high flammability, high diffusivity, very low density as a gas, and another serious drawback is just storing hydrogen. I'm sure you've addressed all these issues, so tell us about your solutions on how you've been able to overcome those challenges. You know, I, I think the safety one is, uh, is somewhat of a misnomer. Um, and I can tell you I've worked with experts and you know, there are organizations that have been set up with the DOE. Uh, do you have to be careful in using hydrogen? Absolutely. But, uh, you know, in many ways, it can be safer than gasoline because it doesn't pull, right? So, you know, you are going to, it goes instantly in the air. Um, the uh, item you have to watch with hydrogen is, uh, you know, it, you know it, it can probably light, light much easier than gasoline because of uh, static electricity. And you build systems around and develop systems that meet standards, so that's not an issue. Um, we uh, move hydrogen in liquid form. And in liquid form, and most storage of hydrogen for the future, when you look at work that's being done by people like Lindy in Europe and the long-term plans in California, there's actually 40 hydrogen, public hydrogen stations. And those stations actually will be storing hydrogen in liquid form. And in liquid form, it's about 75% of the density of gasoline. Um, but when you start thinking about energy content, it's actually, you know, from a well to, to the wheels, it's really not that much different. And, you know, when you think about versus batteries, um, from a weight and volume point of view, uh, people like DHL say, if you're going over a hundred miles, um, this incremental size of hydrogen fuel cells is one tenth the battery. So lighter weight, higher energy density. So that's the advantages. So, uh, you know, there's challenges in the industry. I went, Robert, there's still a lot of work that needs to be done on reducing the cost of uh, storage. Uh, but in the long run, you know, if you look at work, I know I'm going on here a bit, but if you look at work that's done by, by UC Irvine, um, you know, hydrogen, you, unlike batteries, you can store in caverns, very much like uh, you do with natural gas today. Mm -hmm. 
and that can give you long, long holdovers. So when you think about the grid of the future, uh, batteries are good to about 11 hours. After 11 hours, a lot of work has been done that shows hydrogen is the preferred storage mechanism. And you can actually think through how you use the present natural gas infrastructure to allow storage of hydrogen. Well, that's uh, pretty impressive. And I, I, with, with that level of capital, I'm sure you've thought through these uh, challenges. But as you said, they still exist out there. But at least you've got a strategy in place to deal with those. Um, so if I've got it correct, your source of uh, splitting uh, the uh, oxygen-hydrogen uh, bond is using uh, hydroelectric water, I assume, from Niagara Falls? We are. We are right. receiving, in that case, we are. But we're also building uh, a plant in Texas, which you actually use wind power. Okay. Uh, that will uh, be used to generate the hydrogen. And uh, we have a plant in California that we're planning to build that will use solar power. So where does the water come from that you actually use to, as the source feedstock to make the yeah. hydrogen? So actually what you do is you use wastewater. That's even better. <laughs> um, that's better. And you actually clean up the wastewater before you feed the electrolyzer. So you do have to uh, remediate at some level uh, so yeah. that you've got a pure, uh, pure water uh, with less minerals in it and contaminants? You, you, contaminants, especially when you think through things like essentially you're using sewer water, okay. cleaning it up and feeding it. So your dissolved solids, any volatile organics yeah. all get remediated. So you get paid to remediate the water? <laughs> Is that a revenue stream? <laughs> Good idea. <laughs> um, so this plant is planned for upstate New York, uh, and it, it's not your first. Uh, you built your first in Tennessee. What did you learn from the Tennessee facility? Because whenever we're doing something new, we always learn a lot on that first one. <laughs> oh, wow. Um, you know, I think that um, there's a lot of things like land, you know, things which aren't hard technically, but, you know, uh, in upstate New York, for example, I have to work through 14 different permits and a number of different organizations. You know, the, the actual construction and execution is, uh, you know, much more, you know, much more challenging than uh, finding the land, doing all those sort of items to make sure you can do the building. And so I think we're, uh, I think we're better at all that the second time around. I hope so. The permitting and approval process, especially when you're doing anything new that's green, is always a challenge. Any any other takeaways? I, I think that uh, you have to learn. And I wouldn't say this is a learning, but I, I think it was a learning along the way how you structure contracts and yes. how you think about the sort. I mean, I think. I mean, I know your listeners would love me to tell you they got all sorts of technical challenges. That's actually the easy easier, part. <laughs> the easy part. It's the business challenges, and uh, and, and look, and you know, none of those business challenges are. You know, I don't. You know, government should care about what you permit. Government should care about environmental issues. I mean, those are all items we believe in, and uh, so 
So we just have to work the process. And I think most people realize what we bring uh, helps, you know, states and other areas meet their climate goals, but also we create jobs. And we're building a, an innovation center in Rochester also, and that's going to create 380 jobs. Um, you know, the facility for generating hydrogen will create another 80 jobs. So in the Rochester area, creating 500 jobs is a big deal. So let's talk a little bit about job creation. Uh, talk a little bit about the types of jobs you create and then the ripple effect that you'll create yeah. from starting this whole new industry. That's a real good question. And when I look at it, uh, you know, I'll give you a feel. Uh, six, seven years ago, we were about 60 people, and I think I'm about 1,500 people today. Uh, but probably for every person I add, there's probably another person or two in the supply chain who are doing items to support us. Um, plus, you know, I think the work, so, you know, if you think about we've created 1,500 jobs, you know, probably the company's created 5,000, 6,000 jobs overall. But I think what's even more important, um, we have a lot of service people in the field. We're actually teaching people who I suspect will go start businesses often themselves, you know, how to maintain fuel cell engines, which is different than internal combustion engines. And I'm sure they're thinking about uh, how they can grow and how they can build businesses. And, uh, you know, I think that, uh, you know, it's why when you look at places like Europe and you look at over 20% of the recovery money out of COVID, is actually being invested in hydrogen economy because uh, McKinsey believes, you know, this, this industry. Um, McKinsey, know, the create, consulting company? The, con, the consulting yes. company. Believe by 2050, this industry creates 45 million jobs. And uh, it's, you know, and I think a lot of folks in the world view hydrogen and fuel cell as a great economic engine. Uh, while also allowing them to meet their climate goals. You know, I was recently on the phone with a uh, individual who's a, runs Denmark's hydrogen program. And he was outlining to me their thought process, which was exactly, you know, it helps us meet our climate goals. It helps us meet our job goals. And that's what I think, um, I think that's what excites, quite honestly, politicians and others because they can, they see the fit. Yes. The United, and by the way, Robert, the United States should be the leader in fuel cell and hydrogen. It's what got us to the moon. Uh, and we have a distinct technology advantage still in this country, but uh, we need to continue to push ahead to make sure the U.S. remains the leader. The oil and gas companies control enormous wealth. They... Uh, <laughs> They shape governments, they shape policy, and they're losing market share. Uh, what do they think of hydrogen? Well, many of them are involved, actually. If you, uh, I know Shell Oil is investing a great deal of money in the development and generation of hydrogen. So is BP. So, I mean, I think that uh, these are companies that recognize that, uh, you know, for the future, they need to move into renewable portfolios. And I think they're not only moving into hydrogen, they're moving into electricity. 
they're moving into batteries. Um, you know, the, these companies are, you know, I know big companies often get a bad name in the world, but, uh, you know, there is investment going on. You know, you take a company like SK, which is the largest energy producer in South Korea, and they invested $1.6 billion in us and, uh, and have a green goal. And, uh, you know, they're not looking to do it overnight. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think it actually helps grow this industry. And I think you hit an important point. You look at some of the oil companies, their stocks haven't moved since 2005. Um, a lot of people are you know, making sure their funds divest of fossil fuels. Um, and so I think, uh, you know, the companies will be motivated by market forces and they have big balance sheets can make a lot happen. So will you be a competitor or an acquisition target? You know, if you run a public company, um, you're always for sale. But you're also, uh, you know, I have new shareholders today. I don't know who they are by name, uh, but I know I have new shareholders today. Uh, my goal is to build a business. And, uh, you know, and we want to be one of the dominant players when this is all over. And that's how we focus on. Um, and that's how companies should be, right? I mean, what I always say about plug power is we create real things. We're not, you know, you know, we're moving 25% of retail food in this U.S. during the COVID crisis. We're, you know, we're the real deal and uh, we're building a business and uh, uh, people can buy our stock every day. Andy, I really enjoy talking to you and I always enjoy talking to people like you who are changing our future. Uh, thanks for joining us on Green Sense and we wish you the best of luck. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure to meet you, Robert, and look forward to talking to you again in the future. That's Plug Power CEO Andy Marsh talking about green hydrogen. I'm Robert Colangelo and this is Green Sense. Subscribe to our podcast at greensensefarms.com. And check out the Green Sense Minute every Thursday and Saturday on News Radio 780 and 105.9 FM, WBBM Chicago.